All right, we're back to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Did a little handout today. I thought that would be a little, maybe a little help. Some interesting things there that I think are profitable to us. When you look at the the verse Matthew five eight and the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, you know, I never really meditated on that. Never really thought about it in any kind of depth um, until. I began this study here, and so where the outcome came was a little bit of a surprise to me. I wasn't quite expecting what I was getting into, but it, and it was a pleasant surprise, of course, and uh, I really enjoyed it, and I think it will be profitable and helpful for you as well, and even further, deeper study. I mean, I was talking to Ken last night, and you know, and I was telling him about all these different things, was, and he said, well, make it break it up, make more than one message. But I don't want to do that right now. I mean, we could come back and do that later. I'd like to keep each one so we can keep it moving along. But it really was quite a deep study when you considered the word clean, the word heart, and the word see. The three three real key words there in that, well, aside from the word blessed or happy, uh, but we've already dealt with that. So we're, we're considering what it is, how a person can be happy or blessed from a pure heart and what it will mean for them to see God. In other words, what is a pure heart and what is it to see God? What is he talking about there? Well, as we talked about with the word blessed, you know, it's and just another way of saying that we have God's favor. We have his approval. Or as one person wrote it or or, or expressed it in a very um, more contemporary way was congratulations. (laughs) In other words, God looks upon these who have these qualities and characteristics with his look of approval. He has blessed us. And so it again, reminds us not to use the word bless or blessed or see it in too light of a manner because it does express to us how God is viewing us as individuals as we live and walk before him. We also mentioned that these beatitudes or blessings have a certain degree of progression that one follows upon another. <clears throat> and um, it's, it's important, I think, at this point to note there that when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, you would expect to see that one first. If we were looking at that static quality of a pure heart. But I don't think that's what he's looking at for a number of reasons, one of which would be the location here in this list of Beatitudes. And it has more to do with the idea of our present condition of our heart. How our heart is before the Lord and before our fellow man on a day-to-day 
basis as we walk with Christ. And so we want to examine that. Now, we see in our definition there, pure means to be completely cleansed, to be free or clean of any adulterating manner, matter. It is the, the word for which we get our English word, catharsis. It's catharsis. And, and, and it has to do with the act or the process or the state of being cleansed, being clean. There is a usage of that over in John 13, a familiar one. So let's just turn over there and take a look at it. John 13 has to do with the cleansing <coughs> by Jesus of the disciples' feet. And so you remember that account very well. And the distinction of the words concerning wash. In the English translation, it's wash, wash, wash. But in Greek, there's different words used there. And in verse 10, Jesus there says to him, that is to Peter, after he wants to have his whole body washed, Jesus said, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. And, of course, the distinction there is, is there are two different Greek words for the word wash here. The first word, wash, means to take a complete bath, to get totally clean. The second word, nipto, has to do with cleaning only a part of your body. And more particularly, it usually refers, in Scripture at least, to the hands or the feet. In this particular instance, it's referring to the feet. Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. And so he says there, you don't need a complete bath if you've already had one. What you need is to have your feet washed. And he says, concerning the one that is completely bathed or clean, he says, is clean every whit. And that word clean there would be our same word that we have, pure in heart. Some, as you see at the heading of the, your notes I handed to you, clean heart. So it, we're talking about a person who has been cleansed, washed of all defilement by taking a bath. He says you're clean every whit, totally. But then he says, and ye are clean, but not all. In this group of disciples, not everybody had been totally cleansed. And, of course, we know who that one eventually was, Judas. So just referencing this one to give us an idea of this word catharsis, meaning to be, it's the cleansing, the process that takes a place that removes every stop, uh, spot, every stain, every uh, everything that would contaminate or adulterate something, whether it be an object or whether it be a person. In our beatitude here, he's speaking about the heart. A heart that is unstained, unadulterated, no mixture with anything that would defile the heart. And of course, the scripture then is really full of the necessity of walking before the Lord with a clean heart. In the Old Testament, the prophets repeatedly appealed to wandering Israel 
to come back to the Lord and to do so to cleanse their hearts. Now, I'm going to have to stray here just for a minute. So if just look at one key verse right now, Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 4. Other, my other one, Hangus. <laughs> yes, Jeremiah four four. So I'm, I'm getting your other cough drop you gave me here. Angus gave me a couple good ones here to help that out, so I'm gonna have to get to it. Mm. Jeremiah four four says, "Circumcise yourselves to the Lord." And take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. And in, in the verse before that, he said, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. In other words, in the things that they were doing, their hearts were hardened. By the evilness of their doings and their deeds. And Jeremiah was calling them back to the Lord to start doing things from the heart that would not harden the heart, but would be pleasing to God and honoring to him. And we could look at a multitude of verses in the Old Testament. That's why I said it could take probably two or three or four messages to go through all of that and look at what the scripture says concerning the clean heart. That's where I think the value of that little book that G.H. Lang wrote, The Clean Heart. It's just such a, such a key element in the Christian life. It also speaks, as we said, that of this idea of not mixing in anything that would defile the heart. And that's what we have to be on guard against in our walk before the Lord. If we walk with a heart that is holy completely, totally devoted and given over to him. That's what happens when we are born from above, washed in the blood. Our heart is totally catharsis, cleansed, made completely clean. That's at a point in time. But following upon that then, we're to walk before him with a heart that is wholly devoted and given over to him. What does that mean then? It means keeping out anything that would keep us from having a heart that is 100% devoted to Christ. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and mammon. That's one of those things that would prevent us from following the Lord with a whole heart, a pure heart. And of course, many, many other such things that you could mention uh, that would keep us from such. Acts chapter 15, you see it in your notes there. Acts chapter 15 and verse 9. You might want to just turn over there and take a look at the context of it because you'll see it. Our discussion here is a little bit more lengthy concerning that verse. But it's a key verse, I believe. In Acts 15, 9, he says there, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, 
All of this in Acts 15, you remember, has to do with the Jerusalem Council and the gospel being sent to the Gentiles. And in verse 8, he says, God, which knows the hearts, bear them witness, that is the Gentiles, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us apostles, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, I want us to look at your notes very closely there, and you'll see the Greek text and the interlinear given there. And notice how it reads there. Of course, it's very stilted for us in English, but notice that it says, and put no difference between us, both and them. That is, so you could just say, put no difference between both us and them. Then you'll see the words, by the. (coughs) Now, there is no word in the Greek there for that word by. What you see there, uh, 3588, Strong's number, is for the article the. The faith. So you would read that this way. The faith, having purified their hearts. So I find it significant here that in giving the gospel to the Gentiles, what he's telling us here is that the Gentiles' hearts were purified. How? In the faith. Now, we want, in English, we feel like we've got to supply a word. With the faith, in the faith, by the faith, through the faith. I saw all of those in various translations. But I want us to look at the few translations I have here who rendered it in a very literal and, I think, very faithful way. Mace, you'll see there, said it this way, making no difference between us and them, having purified their hearts. And then, of course, he adds, by the faith. Sawyer said it this way, and made no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts, again, by the faith. Now, I put a little line through it just so you'll know that it's not there in the Greek. Now, Young. Y-L-T there. Young's literal translation says, And did put no difference also between us and them, and leave the little word by out, the faith having purified their hearts. Now we're getting much, much closer to the more accurate rendering. But the ISV, that's the International Standard Version, says it this way, And did put no difference also between us and them, the faith having purified their hearts. And then, this MCR is... Hmm? Oh, I read the wrong one, didn't I? He made no distinction between them and us because of their faith-cleansed hearts. I'm sorry. Their faith-cleansed hearts. What we're getting at here is the idea that it was this act of faith. The faith that brought about the cleansing in their hearts. And then MCR is McReynolds, and that's one that uh, I just had to type it out of the book there. But it says, And nothing he judged thoroughly between us, both them, uh, us, both and them, the trust or faith having cleansed the hearts of them. So all I'm trying to point here is that... The faith of the Gentiles, 
or the Gentiles' hearts were cleansed by the faith of them. That is, the faith they expressed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, James 1.8 there says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, it's the word suke there. It's a double-spirited man. But it's the idea of the inner part or inner being of a man who has two different things going on within him is unstable. And, of course, he has no privileges from God if he's a double-minded man. He says he's like a wave in the ocean just, you know, tossed about here, then thrown over there, then over here, a double spirited person, a double-souled person. You cannot have such and expect the Lord to bless you or give you his approval. In chapter 4, verse 8 of James, it says this, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded or the double-souled, again, clean them up, get it out of your heart, put it away. That's why First John 1, 9 says, if we sin, if we confess our sins, the word confessing there means to admit and forsake it. So when God cleanses our hearts, because we've confessed our sin, we're to turn from it and forsake it. We're have to have a single heart before the Lord. We are to be single-minded concerning our faith. So it's not just being happy-go-lucky. I'll just add Jesus to my life so I know I'll go to heaven, but I'll just keep right on living my life the way I have been. Or I may start going to church, but I'm not going to give up this, or I'm not going to give up that. We forget what a commitment it is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with a whole heart. That's why he says, blessed are the pure in heart. The heart, we note down here, is the seat of the mind, the emotions, and the will. We've talked about that several times in the past. It's, it's the core of our life. It's, it's the center of our inner being. And we have these three expressions given to us all the way back in the book of Genesis. At the very beginning. And it, they are expressive of God's heart. The mind. The emotions. Our feelings. And our will. Or our choices, the things we choose to do. Those three things are part and parcel of everything that we do from the heart. Which, by the way, tells us that emotions are not a bad thing. You turn your Christianity over to nothing but emotion, and that becomes the focal point, then you've lost touch. There's a complete balance between all of those. And then you see that last phrase, for they shall see God. Why is it then that the pure in heart at this point are told they will see God? Well, several things. I want us to look at a few things here. 
all the way back in uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. There's a promise given there. Uh, or maybe I should just say a, a declaration, a statement. In the beginning of this revelation that was given to the Apostle John and relayed to us as he wrote it down, he says there, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye will see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. There is coming a day when every eye will see Christ. They will lay eyes on him. And it's the same word, by the way, as the word see back here in our beatitude. For they shall see God. But this is every eye shall see him. The beatitude says the pure in heart shall see him. So there's something different going on here when he talks about the pure in heart seeing God. I want us to look at, well, let's look at the verse that's given in your notes there. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So there is a certain aspect of our Christian life in which if we do not have these qualities, this purity of heart, or this following after peace and holiness, that we won't see the Lord. I want us to look at several, several passages and just follow a line of thought here. And we're not, again... There were so many verses to look at. I almost got tired looking at them. I said, man, alive. Scripture's loaded with these things. But we're going to look at the most significant ones, I think, that will show us what seeing the Lord here is all about. In Psalm 63, The first two verses, and I've told you before, I really like this psalm. It's one of my favorites. He says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, that is, or in the holy place. You'll see the longing of the psalmist here, which of course is David. His longing was to see the Lord and his glory as he had seen him in the sanctuary. Well, there in the sanctuary or in the holy place, David had observed or seen the glory of the Lord. So just take note of that. Then let's turn over to Psalm 97. Just go few more pages to the right, Psalm 97. 
And in verse 1, Psalm 97, 1 says, The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. Why would the earth rejoice? Because it's the Lord who is ruling. He is the one reigning. And not only is that, but this psalm has to do with the Lord establishing his rule. He says, let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. Notice the throne and having to do with his righteous rule and his judgment. A fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. Now that's more judgment. He's establishing his kingdom. He's putting down his enemies. He's making things right. His lightnings enlightened the world. The earth saw and trembled. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. The picture there, of course, is the king establishing his rule over the earth. And when he does so, it says the people see his glory. And we've talked about this, and the scripture is loaded again with this. I could repeat verses we've used many times in the past. That when the Lord Jesus comes, when he takes his throne to rule the earth, he will do so, the scripture says, in his glory. To be in his glory is to take his throne. And that's what the psalmist is referencing here. The whole earth, the people will see his glory because they will acknowledge him taking his throne. Isaiah 35 and verse 2. Isaiah 35 has to do again with with the, the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, the establishment of God's rule over the earth. In verse 1, it says there, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Then another couple pages over to chapter 40 of Isaiah. This well-known chapter from which the Hallelujah Chorus is taken. I was telling Tori about that this yesterday. About the Hallelujah Chorus. And it's just, you know, this, this is a great chapter here. Verse 5 says, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed... You almost want to sing, and the glory of... No, I won't, because I can't. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. They will see the glory of the Lord. Isaiah 66, just a few more pages over. And that's the last chapter of Isaiah, and of course a chapter having to do with the kingdom again. And the establishment of God's rule over the earth. In verse 18, Isaiah 66, 18. 
<coughs> says, For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. Now, there is ultimately then coming a time when the whole earth <coughs> will see the glory of the Lord. They're going to see the establishment of the king's rule over the earth when he takes his throne. Turn to John chapter 3. And to a familiar verse there, verse 36. In John chapter 3 and verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Now, of course, we know there that everlasting life or age-abiding life is a reference to the age life that God has promised to those who trust his Son and believe in him. And that's what he's talking about. He that believeth on the Son has it. It's a present possession of the one who is presently believing on the Son. But then it says, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. Now, it stated in the negative there. He will not see the life, that coming life promised of God. Turn with me over to John 11. John 11 is that chapter where they're dealing with the death of Lazarus and Mary and Martha are both involved in this scene. And in verse um, 40, Here we have a reference to seeing the glory of the Lord, but it has to do with resurrection. And if you know anything about the teaching of the scriptures regarding resurrection, you'll know that that's a, a, a required element of those who would participate in the coming kingdom. A resurrection to life, to the life. Jesus said to her in verse 40, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Well, that happened upon him calling forth Lazarus from the grave. Now, continue on. I want us to turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 3. In Acts 1, 3, we have a reference there to Jesus going about in, in the... Uh, following upon his resurrection, going about teaching about the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3. After, in the, during these 40 days, it says there, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So just hold that thought. Romans chapter 15, we're just making a progression right on through the scriptures. 
Romans chapter 15. <coughs> and um, Paul in verse um, verse 18 it says he says there I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of God, the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, now notice what he says. He went about preaching the gospel of Christ, as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see. But they that have not heard, excuse me, and they that have not heard shall understand. In other words, in the preaching of the gospel of Christ, which is the gospel of the kingdom, he says, they shall see. And it's the same word for see that we find back in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. They shall see God. So let's just keep moving on then. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. In Hebrews 2, 9. But we see Jesus. <coughs> Same word. We see Jesus. Who was made a little lower than the angels. For the suffering of the death. Crowned with glory and honor. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now, the connection I'm trying to make here is that in seeing Jesus, he says we see him crowned with glory and honor. And, of course, my point here is, is that the pure in heart who are blessed, he says, are going to see God because... And for the reason that I titled this message the way I did, the clean heart sees the glory of God. It sees it in more than one way. It sees it through the eye of faith. It understands what the gospel of the kingdom is. And so the reason that the pure in heart then are blessed is because they see God's glory. And, of course, this all ties in with exactly all the other Beatitudes, inheriting the earth, and so on. If you'll look at Hebrews chapter 9, just a couple pages over, three or four, and verse 28. It says there, so Christ was once offered 
to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now, this is one of those cases where you need to be aware of the multiplicity of words and how they're used and what the inherent meaning is. For instance, the word salvation here. The context in which it's being used speaks of, matter of fact, the word salvation in the whole book of Hebrews never means that initial point of salvation. It always has reference to the ultimate future salvation that we will experience. That is those who have seen Jesus and his glory and have walked with him by faith and have had pure hearts. So what he's saying here then is, well, the next thing I want to look at is that little word appear. It's the same word translated see back in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. And I had had a note written here some time back. It means that word see here means to be visibly seen. So in this verse, he's telling us here that Christ, who bore the sins of many unto them that look for him, that would be the same people who are pure in heart. These looking for him, he shall be visibly seen the second time without sin unto salvation. That is, these then who are living by faith, walking with a pure heart, shall visibly see him unto salvation. That is, unto acceptance into his kingdom. That is, to be recipients of the life that he promised. Or to be recipients of that eternal life that the rich young ruler came asking Jesus about. That's why the pure in heart are the ones who will see God. They will see his glory. First, uh, go to, well, excuse me, let's just skip that. Revelation 22, right to the last chapter of the Bible. And verse 4 says, well, of course, chapter 22, there's, he's talking about the new Jerusalem here and all the delights that will accompany the presence of the Lord. And he says there in verse 4, and they shall see his face. And of course, that word see is our same word as in Matthew 5, 8. They shall visibly see his face. You know, there are several references in the Bible that tell us that Man cannot look upon God and live, or that no man hath seen God at any time, which are all true statements. But the scriptures tell us that there's coming a day when there will be certain ones who will see the face of God. They will see the face of Jesus Christ. That's why Fanny Crosby could write that song that I shall see him face to face. You know, the blind songwriter was confident one day she would see his face. But that seeing of his face belongs to the pure in heart. 
It belongs also, though, we could easily say, to the poor in spirit, to the meek, to the merciful, to those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, as well as to the pure in heart. All of these qualities that go to make up a, a, a life that is full of the life of the Lord, the Zoe life, the kingdom life, the life that God has promised. Not biological life, but millennial life. The life that God always speaks of with reference to his kingdom rule. It's Zoe life. He never speaks about soul life, never speaks about bios or bios life, physical life. It's always Zoe life. Zoe life is what we want to possess. It's that eternal, age-abiding life of which the rich young ruler was seeking after, the, the young lawyer was seeking after, and every Jew was looking for that he might come into possession of one day. And that is the life that would be full of the blessings of God under the rule of his promised Messiah. They desired it. Now, many of them didn't, and they forsook the Lord. We're talking here about those who were the just, the ones living by faith, the ones seeking the Lord and his promised rule, just like that rich young ruler was, only he walked away. Walked away sad because he had two things going on in his heart. A desire to seek the Lord in his kingdom, but also a desire to hang on to his mammon, his money. And he simply couldn't part with the money. Couldn't give it up. And see, what we have to ask ourselves then is, what is going on in my heart? You know, remember Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 said, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Well, that's what we have to do. We have to examine our own heart to make sure there's not more than one thing going on in here. That it's a single-minded heart, or as the scripture says, singleness of heart. It's a one-hearted person, a one-spirited person who is seeking this and this alone, and nothing else. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we have this privilege and this opportunity to serve Christ, to know the truth of the Scriptures, to feel the warmth of God's love upon our hearts. And Lord, I pray that in our own hearts, we would examine ourselves. We would, as it were, check ourselves out to do a self-judging, so that we might not be judged by you in that coming day. Lord, we sometimes get frustrated. We think it's so difficult and, and so hard. And yet, if we just trust in you, we find that your yoke is very, very easy. And I pray that you'd give us the grace and the faith to cling to those strong promises. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.